You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah. If you would like to find out more information about our church, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. One of the things they teach you in seminary when you're t- taking homiletical courses, at least in the seminary I attended and most of the kind of the, the flavor of, of schools that I support is when you're preaching a sermon, there should be one main idea. Right, one main idea that kind of flows through the text, and then you know you can build your points around that. But there should be one idea that that you preach in your sermon. And so, as I've done this for twelve plus years now, that's kind of the model I followed. As I kind of help and encourage the younger pastors on staff, I try to move them in that direction. But I need to tell you today, I'm not doing it today. Just so you know, and I don't really care if my seminary professors listen because they can't do anything to me anymore. <laughs> so uh, there's a pastor that I used to listen to in uh, Northern Virginia at a church. Uh, he's retired now. Uh, his name was Lon Solomon. He was a, a Jewish man who came to faith, pastor of McLean Bible, which is this like massive church that David Platt is now the pastor of. And he used to have this little radio ministry. Uh, it still does. It's called, it was called not a, not a Sermon, Just a Thought. It's a little 60 second, you know, blurb. And, and, uh, and so today, I've kind of ta- I'm stealing that from him. I'm giving him his props, his credit. Today is not a sermon. So if you're like, I didn't really like your sermon today, I'm gonna say, wasn't a sermon. It was just a thought. Actually, it's four thoughts. I have four thoughts for you today. Um, and when it comes to a passage like today, we, we've been covering the book of Judges. When you come to a, a guy like Samson and he's got four chapters, you really could preach all four chapters in one sermon. It's all the same story. Samson's a knucklehead, Samson dies. That's the story, all right? Uh, but we've, we've chosen to broke it up. Uh, in a, break it up into four different kind of weeks so we can kind of take a little different angles. But Clint's gonna kind of summarize this deal next week. But um, when you come to a passage like this, one of the things I, I, it's helpful, I think Romans, uh, when, he, when he talks about the Old Testament, when Paul says this, he says, whatever was written in the former times, former days, and, and for Paul, that's the Old Testament, right? Whatever was written in former days was written, why? For our instruction. So this story is for our instruction, and that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And there's kind of four ideas in that verse. Instruction, endurance, encouragement, hope. And so I have four thoughts, one for each. A, a thought on instruction, a thought on endurance, a thought on hope, a thought on encouragement for us this morning. So this is not, a repeat, a sermon, but it is four thoughts. All right, so let's jump in. We're gonna be in Judges chapter 15. We're gonna cover verse nine all the way to 16, verse three. Crack the door on that chapter a little bit. Here's where we've been in case you forget. So the, the Israel, Israelites are living in the land. There's no king in Israel. Everyone does what is right in his own eyes. And so everyone's kind of living their life and they eventually every time they fall into this cycle, we've seen this like a seven time through, that they sin, they rebel against God, they worship false gods. God brings a nation to judge them, the Moabites, the somebodyites, uh, they finally wake up and smell the coffee, they repent, they cry out to God, please help us, and God raises up a judge, and there's salvation, and there's peace for 20 years, 30 years, however long that judge lives. As soon as he dies, they jump back in. Except on this occasion, with Samson, there's no sorrow. They skip the sorrow piece. They don't really care. They don't mind being the slaves of the Philistines. And so God, in his grace anyway, raises up a man named Samson, and he's distinct from all the other judges, because all the other judges had struggles. You know, Jephthah's got family issues. Gideon's got confidence issues. Ehud's got a a, a gimp hand. He's got a handicap. All different issues. Samson's got none of those. He's like the Superman. 
He's got the miraculous birth. He's got the great family. He's got the super strength. He's got all the gifts. It's, all, it's the package deal. But what we saw last week is God is trying to, to call him to something different. And he keeps blowing past God's warning signs. God sends his parents, don't marry this girl. God gives him his precepts of his Nazarene vow. He blows them off. God shows him all this pain that he's causing. Dead people, just bodies, just piles of bodies behind him. And he, and he just keeps blowing through and spiraling out of control. And where we left him last week... He's hiding. He's hiding in a cleft of a rock. Why? Well, he was supposed to marry this girl, but he loses a bet. Because he loses a bet, he goes and kills a bunch of people. All right? Then he comes back and his, his wife's been given away. So he's mad about that. So he burns the whole town down. And then they kill his supposed wife. And so he gets mad and kills them. And you have this one-upping of each other. You did this, I did this. You did this, I did this. And they keep going back. So it gets so bad, now he's got to go hide. Because he's just, he's just torched everything. That's where we pick up for this not a sermon, just some thoughts. All right, verse nine. Then the Philistines came up and encamped in Judah and made a raid on Lahi. Lahi means jawbone. All right, some people, most people think it's kind of some, like a graveyard for, for dead animals or they dump the bodies of animals there and it's just a bunch of skulls and skeletons. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we, we, we've come up to bind Samson to do to him as he did to us. And so the Philistines come to Judah and they raid them. And here's what stands out. The enemies of God raid God's people. And they're wondering, what have we done? We, we've been good to you. We've done everything you say. Right? They are shocked that the enemies of God might actually have something to do with it. It's how, how pitiful it is. And it's even sadder that the enemies of God walk right by Judah you're not a threat to us, okay? You're, no one's worried about the, the Miami Marlins right now, right? Okay, they're, no, they're not a threat. You just walk by the Miami Marlins. Why? Because they stink. Walk by the Falcons, because they, uh, okay. But uh, at least I didn't say the Braves. I give you a shot right this year, right? Because they're not a threat. They're like, we're not here for you. We're here for him. We're here for Samson, right? That's why we're here. And they're like, well, well, you can have him. We'll, we'll bring him to you. 3,000 men. Think about that. They go, okay, who's going to go up to Samson? No, no, no. There's not one guy going up to Samson. We're going to take 3,000 just to be careful. So 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft at the Rock of Etam and said to Samson, dude, what is your problem? That's the translation. What, don't you know? They're the boss. They're our rulers. What then is that you, what is this you're doing to us? Right? What are you, why are you rocking the boat, Samson? They are the boss. And Samson gives the classic response that all parents are used to when they hear chaos in the other room and fighting over the Xbox and someone gets hit and there's this anger and you walk in the room and you're like, what's going on in here? The classic response, he started it. It's his fault. That's what Samson says. What are you doing, Samson? They started it. Not... God has raised me up. God's made me a Nazarite. I'm a judge. I'm supposed to deliver. I'm supposed to save. This is my gig. It's, they started it. They did it, right? Excuses, right? It's, it's, it's kind of silly. And here's the first thought. Not a sermon, just a thought. And this is the instruction piece for us this morning, right? All right we need to stop with the excuses and the blame game. This, this is Samson. Right? We cannot, as the people of God, live our lives solely based on how everybody else res responds and everyone else acts. We can't let other people dictate 
our actions. We can't live by that. We can't live by, they started it. It's their fault. They made me do it. Because what happens is you get on this cycle in your marriage. You get on this cycle, this crazy cycle, and somebody's got to be a bigger person and get off the cycle and stop doing, well, they did this, and I'm doing this, and they did this, and somebody's got to be big enough to get off that. You can't live by that cycle. It's crazy. And also, let's, be, let's just be honest, it makes you look dumb. I did this, or I did this. It's silly. It's two-year-old stuff. In fact, there's a great story one of the greatest examples of what not to do of, of how to blame others is, is a high priest Aaron. I don't know if you remember this story. I don't have time to kind of read the whole thing, but Moses, Charlton Heston is on the mountain and he's getting the Ten Commandments. And it's been a while. And so the people are down in the valley like, dude, Moses is gone. Aaron, make us a God. Make us a God and we'll worship that and we'll go. And so Aaron says, okay, just give me all your jewelry. Give me all your rings, give me all your earrings. So they kind of pile it up and he melts it and he fashions it into a cow. And he says, here's your God. And God's up on the thing, finishing number 10 on the good, he's like, you better get down there, Moses. They're acting like a bunch of knuckleheads. So Moses goes down, he throws, Charlton and throws the 10 commandments down, right? And he goes to Aaron, he's like, dude, what are you doing? And Aaron's response is classic. He says, man, you know, these people are a bunch of crackheads, you know that? But, but here's what happened, man. Moses, I promise, this is exactly how it happened. They gave, I told them to give me the gold. I threw it in the fire and out popped the cow. It's a miracle. That's exactly what he says. This is the high priest of Israel. But it's their fault. And I didn't do it. It was a miracle. I don't know how it happened. It just happened. It's crazy. You should have been here. Right? It's just, it's silly. And all the parents and the teachers in the room, they know this. Right? He hit me first. He did it. They did it too. Everyone else is doing it. It's a classic Mother's Day response. If your friends jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? I would probably. Just I'd be the first one, but that's a different story. I'd be the friend that led the friend. We cannot let our actions, what we say, what we do, be dictated by what other people do. See, Samson lives by a code. His code is this. Do unto others as they do unto me. Right, And we do the same, we are experts on this. If my wife would just do X, then I would do this. But she doesn't do this and that's, um, that's why I'm not. And if my parents really understood me, I wouldn't lie and I wouldn't have to sneak and do all these things. It's my parents' fault that I'm acting, acting like this. If my teacher wasn't such a this and would offer help and wasn't so difficult, then I wouldn't have to cheat off my, my buddy or, or whatever. It's my teacher's fault. If my roommate would have done the dishes, last week was her dishes week. Second week of the month, her dish week. If she did, and she didn't do it, and I had to do it for her. So because she didn't do her dishes last week, I'm not doing the dishes this week. Ha ha. Right? If, if that umpire would make a good call, I wouldn't have to remind him about his weight and intelligence. <laughs> if that person knew how to drive, those southern drivers, I wouldn't have to remind, I wouldn't have to point them to God uh, as I drove by. It's their fault. And we want to blame. And look, let's, let's be honest. It feels good to respond in the way that you were treated. It just feels good. But someone's got to end this cycle. And it should be the followers of Jesus. That's who it should be. Right? Because Jesus flips Samson's code. Samson's doing to others as they do unto me. Jesus adds two key little words to that philosophy in the Sermon on the Mount. The key words are you wish. 
whatever you wish others did. Not what others others did, what others you wish others did to you, do this to them. This is the law and the prophets. So it's not what did they do to you, it's what, how do you want them to treat you? Well, I wish my boss uh, was, more, was more respectful to me and appreciated all the hard work that I do and all this. That's awesome, great thing to wish for. You know what you should be doing? You should be respectful to the people under you and to your boss. That's what you do. I wish my husband was more patient with me. He doesn't know the chaos that happened at the house today. He doesn't know all these things that happened. He just thinks I didn't do anything, but he doesn't see all these things. I wish he just would be a little bit more patient when he came home from work today or my wife was more patient with me when I came. That's awesome. You should, they should be. Then you do it. I wish that this person would just show me a little bit more grace when I mess up. It's not intentional. I didn't mean to do that. It wasn't intentional. Yes, I overlooked it. Yes, I missed it. I wish they would just show me a little bit more grace. Awesome. So when your three-year-old spills the milk, it wasn't probably intentional. Well, some of your three-year-olds, it probably was. But most of them, it was just accident. You show the grace. I wish people would be more helpful, more generous with me. I just, I need help and I need this and I need this. Awesome. Were you being generous? And here's the challenge. You do it regardless of how the other person responds. See, that's where the rubber meets the road. Because we're like, yeah, I'll be respectful as long as he's respectful back. What if he's not? What if, what if she's not? What if your teacher is still a jerk? What if your boss is still arrogant? What does Jesus say? Whatever you wish. He, said, he doesn't give excuses. He doesn't, he doesn't say, no, you, they didn't do this. He says, how do you wish to be treated? He, when Paul says rejoice, he doesn't say rejoice when things are great. He says rejoice what? Always. He says be content in all things. Not be content when I got enough in savings, when my kids are doing right, when everyone, everything's great and my husband's been a great husband and, my, and my, my dating life is perfect. No, he says be content. End of story. He says forgive. Always. Four, seven times 70. Not just 490, the idea is keep forgiving, keep forgiving, keep forgiving. Not forgive when they come to you first and they say they're sorry, then I'll forgive, but I'm certainly not going to him first. That's forgive, period, end of story. See, there's no excuses, there's no blaming. This is the standard which Jesus puts on his followers. That's why the very next verse after Matthew 7, 12, you know what it is? Enter by the narrow gate. That's narrow, isn't it? It's hard. That's the point. I mean, if you're nice to me and I'm nice to you, Peter says, so stinking what? Everybody does that. The pagans do that. This is, this is the distinction of the people of God. This is hard, right? It's hard. It means you're gonna have to overlook some offenses, y'all. It means that you're gonna have, we, me, you, in your marriage, with your kids, with your spouse, in your community group, with the guy sitting in the aisle, with the guy in the parking lot here, you're gonna have to overlook some fences, but the Proverbs say it's good sense makes one slow to anger, and it's his glory to overlook an offense. And it means when you're the offender, when you're the one who kind of intentionally or not, shockwave goes out, you've done that thing, that you're not gonna hide in the cleft of the rock like Samson, they did it. You're not gonna say, well, I don't know, I put it in the fire and this is what happened. You're gonna say, that was on me. I'm, I did it. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You're not gonna hide it because the Proverbs also say whoever conceals, whoever hides his transgression, you're not gonna prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them, what, obtains mercy. It's narrow. But just think, just briefly, just a fathom, where is the most chaos in your life right now? 
which relationship is that? What, is it your spouse? Is it your kids? Is it your boss? Is it your neighbor? Is it whatever? Think about if you actually obeyed this command of Jesus, how could that potentially revolutionize that relationship? Think about it. If you would treat that person, and you know who I'm talking about. It's in your mind right now. You're like, yep. You might be like, you're pointing. Don't point. How would it, if you, regardless of how they responded, if you treated the way you wanted to be? Radical, right? That's, it's not a sermon. It's just a thought, right? It's just a thought. Right? Let's continue. Verse 12. And so the, Judah, the Judites say to Samson, no, 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 we've come down here to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. Samson said to them, swear to me you will not attack me yourselves. Samson at least knows that his job is to protect Israel, so he's not gonna attack, but he's telling them basically, if you're, if you're a child of 70s and 80s, you remember the old Hulk show when, when Bruce Banner would be like, don't make me angry. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry, right? He, he's telling them, look, I'm not gonna do anything to you, but if you attack me, it, it's, it's on all right, it's on, so please, just don't do that. Swear to me, you will not attack me. And they're like, no, no, of course not. We're not gonna attack you. We're gonna bind you and give you to their hands so they can attack you. Say, oh, we would never hurt you. We're just gonna let them do it. We're not gonna kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and they took him up from the rock. Put two bungee cords, whatever, Home Depot, brand new ropes, and they take him to the Philistines. And here's what's sad, and I want you to miss this. They are missing an opportunity to be free. They have the Hulk. They have 3,000 men. What are they waiting for? The enemy's down there. They could just, just like they did with Othniel, just like they did with Gideon, just like they did with Ehud, just like they did with Jephthah, they could rally around their leader, they could go down, and they could be free of the Philistines, but they would rather be slaves of their enemy than to do that. Because it's... I don't, look, I don't want to fight. Man, I might get hurt. I might, I might break my nail. I'm kind of content living as a slave. I don't want to rock the boat. What's it going to cost me if I go down there and fight? What, I don't, I, no, I'd rather side with my enemy and make peace than make war. Right? That's them. Here's a second, second thought. Not a sermon, just a thought. Here's an encouragement. We as the people of God need to fight for each other. We need to fight, right? Samson hadn't been perfect. He had the perfect guy. He's got issues, but God still got his hand on his life, and they are so willing to just hand over God's guy. Why? Because they don't want it. They want to stay out of the mix. Strange to me, and I just don't want us to do the same. I, I think we give up so easily. Like marriage is hard. There's no doubt. Marriage is a struggle, right? But I think we have a culture that gives up too easily on their spouses. You just give up. They'll never change. We just let them go. Or we walk away. We're, we're, too, we're too easy. We're too scared of confrontation with our kids. I don't, want, I don't know, you know, I don't want to tell her that that guy's a knucklehead. We don't fight for him. Right? And I'm not talking about fighting for, I'm not talking about please don't go into your kid's biology teacher and argue with the teacher because they didn't study and they got an F. They deserved an F. Stop giving them participation trophies. Right? I'm not talking about fighting over an F that they didn't study for. I'm talking about if they're in a knucklehead relationship with a knucklehead guy that you're willing to say, this is wrong. You don't, you're, not, you're, not, you're not going out with him. Well, I am going out with him. But guess what? Those keys, hand them over. 
You can ride your skateboard. You can go out with old boy. Right? And we need to fight for our kids. And we need to fight on our knees for our kids. Right? Uh, we are friends. You see your friend. You got a buddy. He's got two kids. And you know he's having an affair with his secretary. You ought to be at his door begging him. Don't do this. You got a little 16-year-old girl, you two girls and your friends, and you know that girl's about to go compromise and go do something that could, could, could change the trajectory of her life. Don't just say, yeah, have fun. Go after her. Well, I don't know what she'll think of me. Well, she may think that you're crazy or a prude or whatever, but you know what? You're not going to just give her over. You got someone's getting picked on in school and, and you know they're depressed already and they got no friends and you're just, well, I'm, just, I'm not. You got to stand up, even if it's the captain of the football team and say, stop, just leave that kid alone. Well, he might not lie, he might not be popular. Who cares? It's our call to do justice and to fight for, for justice. And I know that it's going to cost sometimes and you're going to have to move. You're like, I don't want the drama. Life is drama. And if you're going to follow Jesus, there's going to be drama. You can't avoid it, right? Unless you want to be a wishy-washy, superficial, everyone pretends everything's okay church and puts on a good smiley face, but really it's a train wreck inside. There's going to be drama. When Jesus incarnates, when he comes, when the, when the word becomes flesh and dwells among us, he enters drama. A family. He's got at least four brothers and two sisters. Drama. They don't believe in him. Right? They come and say, well, someone in shut Jesus up. He's embarrassing the family. They think he's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. They think he's not so until after the resurrection, and then they all worship him. But before that, they think he's nuts. That's drama. He's got the disciples. It's drama on steroids. Peter's cutting off ears. Got to deal with that. You know? Either fighting over who's the greatest. Got to deal with that. Sisters fighting. Martha, Mary, Mary, get Mary working with me. Drama. Old Nathaniel, sweet Nathaniel's like, what town are you from? You from Nazareth? That's a punk town. Anything good come out of Nazareth? Yeah, you're telling the son of God he's a punk. Drama. Thomas. I don't believe in him unless I see him. Thomas. Feel my hands from my side. Drama. They need to eat, Jesus. There's 5,000 of them. They need to eat. Drama. Pharisees. Drama. One goes away. 99 stay here. Drama. But Jesus doesn't just say, forget the drama. He moves into it. In fact, the night he's, before he's crucified, he tells, he tells Peter. He says, Satan has demanded you. And he's, you there is plural. Y'all. He's demanded the leaven of y'all to sift you like wheat. And I just let him. How you like that? Is that what he says? He says, no, but I have prayed for you. That you would then, you come, you're going to fail, but you're going to come back. And I, you would encourage your brothers. He enters into it he fights for us right he does justice he seeks good this is what the prophet isaiah says he says learn to do good seek justice if you're going to seek justice for the unborn you're going to have some drama that's why i love ministries like thrive and the savannah care center that we support and they enter into that fray that is a battleground y'all it is a battleground seek justice correct oppression you go correcting oppression there's gonna be some drama you go help the fatherless, right? Broken homes, widows, there's gonna be some struggle. It just is. Again, this is why I love some of the local ministries that we support. You guys really, if, if you ought to, 
invest in them, think about them, pray about them. Whether it's Molly's Bridge and the Living Vine who take single moms and so, that give them a place to live, right, during pregnancy and then after. We get the Refugee, the Hope Academy, with these folks that come into our country with nothing, they don't even speak English, and we go teach them basic language but then try to share the gospel. You got our, our neighborhood ministry, the Dream Campaign, and, and it goes with CBC Neighbors, and pl- things like Excel, let's do mentoring and helping these kids learn to read and do their, get them discipline and point them to Christ and help them get out of a cycle of poverty and, and just family struggles. There's drama there. You, you want, come on a Tuesday and Thursday. It is the greatest drama you'll ever see, though, I can tell you. They'll bring a smile to your face drama, but it's drama. It costs something, Right? You want drama? Go, go volunteer with the sunshine girls who go down to the adult industry clubs and feed those girls and encourage those girls and pray for those girls. Okay, so this is what we are called to. And I'm not talking about going and picking fights because some of y'all like to just pick fights, right? I'm not talking about that. In fact, the Proverbs deals with that. He says, don't grab a dog by its ears. That's just not practical for like pet owners or something. What he's saying is, don't get into a quarrel that ain't yours, that's what it's saying, right? Stay out of the stuff that's not yours. But if it's something that you need to move into, if it's a justice issue, if it's an oppression issue, if it's, if it's a family of God issue, man, God has called us to move into that with kindness and grace and boldness. And these guys just leave Samson. Go ahead, we don't, yeah, you, you, you can take him. I just don't want us to be that way. It's not a sermon, but it is, it's just a thought, just an encouragement. Let's continue, verse 14. And so he comes down, I love this, he comes to Lehi, and the Philistines are shouting, you know, they're all pumped, man, their enemy's coming, woo, and and there's the Jews kind of following and just delivering them out there. It's great pictures, louds, yelling, you know, they're banging their steel shields, and you know, the Spirit of the Lord then rushes upon him, I love the imagery there, and the ropes that were on his arms became his flax that has caught fire. And the bonds melted. You, you know, you've seen a little string you put over a fire, just like, boop, it's gone. You can imagine he's sitting there and they're, ah, 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 you're gonna die. And he's all, boop. And that just goes, psh, quiet. Everyone's quiet. I mean, the Jews are back here like, I promise we tied it tight. I promise we tied it tight. The Philistines are all, and I don't know what happened specifically, but I'm, if I, I bet he winked. I bet he's like, so here's our meeting you wanted so badly. In verse 15, he takes, he finds a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Again, probably at a graveyard at some point. If it means, lahi means jawbone, so I don't, you know, something there. He takes a jawbone of a donkey, which is technically a breaking of his vow, but that ain't bothered him before. He puts his hand out, he takes it, and with it he struck a thousand men. He goes all matrix revolutions. Here's what a jawbone of a donkey looks like whole. Okay, it could be wicked, in the right hands. Samson's hands are the right hands, right? It's kind of a double-edged, like, sickle or something, you know? I don't know, but I don't know if he uses it as a boomerang, like, you know, come back. I don't know. I want to kind of TiVo it in heaven if it's there. I don't know if they have that video. But he takes out a 1,000 men with his jawbone. And then he gets all poetic because, you know, he's this warrior poet guy. He says, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey have I struck down a 1,000 men. And it's not very poetic in English, but it rhymes in the Hebrew. You have two words that are exactly the same. One English writer has summarized it, probably more accurately, uh, that said something. He said something like, with the jawbone of an ass, I've piled them in a mass. 
That's, that's basically what he's saying, right? And then he throws it down. He's finished speaking his little haiku. He throws the jawbone down. The jawbone of the Israelites is still on the ground. They're like, ah, oh, you know, are you going to come against us now? He throws the jawbone out of his hand, and that place was called Ramath Lahi, which means the hill of the jawbone, or the height of the jawbone, probably a play on the fact that he just piled up a bunch of people with a jawbone. And he was very thirsty, of course. He just had a big workout, all right? And so he called upon the Lord. He does something here he has not done in two chapters so far. He prays. (laughs) We haven't seen a prayer out of him yet. And the only other one we're gonna see is at his death, by the way. Right, But he prays and he says, you have granted. And the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew reads, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I can pick this up. It's super emphatic. Like it's like putting a highlighter in bold letters or you know, comic sans or something so someone sees it and it stands out, right? He, he puts it in bold letters. You have done this. You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. It's very unique for Samson. He doesn't usually think that way. He doesn't usually pray. But then he turns right back into Samson. He says, now am I going to die of thirst and fall the hands of the circumcised? He starts complaining. All right, he had a moment there. It was a good moment, but he had a moment. And then God answers in his grace. God split open the hollow place that is at Lahi. Water came out from it. When he drank, his spirit returned and he revived. Therefore, the name of it was called En-Hakor. It is in Lahi to this day. This is another interesting little tidbit. He calls the place En-Hakor, which means En means spring. Hakor means of the one who called. So he calls it the spring of the one who called. Even in the naming of it, he's talking about himself. It could have been the spring of, you know, En Jaira, the God who provides. The spring of who, the one who provides. Or En Emet, the God who is faithful. The spring of the God who is faithful. Instead, he says, this is the spring of the one who called out. Okay? He's still got his issues. He's still got him me issues. He always has and he always will. But here's, here's the third thought for us. And this is the hope thought. And this is a great, to me, a great encouragement. Despite everything Samson's done in his life, right? He's blown off his vow. He's blown off his parents. He wants to marry a Philistine girl. He gets angry. He kills everybody. He gets in his way. He does what is right in his own eyes. Even his prayers are halfway about him. Despite all of that, here's the hope. That God has not abandoned him. That God isn't left. You know what, y'all? I need to know that. I mean, I need to see that. And I know the verses, y'all, and you do too. You grew up in church. The Lord will never leave you nor forsake you. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. And it is true. But you know what? Sometimes I don't feel that. When I fail my kids... When life, when my prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling, when I feel like I've been a jerk for six hours, six weeks, maybe six years, when I'm struggling, I, it's, I just, I mean, again, I'm, I'm appreciative of scripture and people sharing a verse, but sometimes I, I just don't feel that. And I need to see that God hasn't even left Samson and he's a knucklehead of knuckleheads. And maybe some of you, maybe you're, this is your wrestling, you're, your circumstances are horrible. Not where you wanted to be. Maybe you still feeling the shame and guilt of a divorce or uh, an abortion or an affair or a failure in business or just being a parent that was not there or whatever, fill in the blank, a bad relationship, running back to an addiction. Uh, here, here's, and the enemy is on your shoulder because this is what he does, y'all. 
He'll sit on that shoulder waiting for you and be like, yep, you are a liar. You are a pig. You are an adulterer. You are a throwaway. God has left you and he doesn't want you and he has abandoned you. And it is easy to believe that. If we sit, and then we look it out, we see at church, church doesn't always help because we look on stage and we're like, look how godly those people are. They sing and they raise their hands. And that family down there, they got pictures, they like each other and they're dressed up. They're so godly and I'm a fraud. And it just makes us even spiral more, right? And, and the hope of this text is that God cannot, has not, will not abandon you. And I just love that about this text. I, I just love it because I need that, right? And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're like Samson and, and you haven't taken the straightest, straightest path to get here. And you've taken the rough path like him. You've, you've gone through the lion and the, and the vineyard and you, you're dipping your hand in the nastiness of that honey and you've gone all these things. Maybe that's been your path. But remember, that's his path and God melts his bonds and he accomplishes his purpose through him and the same is for us. And you need, this is why we need to be reminded of the gospel, which just is a, I mean, we use gospel, it's kind of a churchy word. It just means good news. The good news is this, if you are in Christ, that your sins, past, present, and future, were nailed to Calvary's tree. You need to know that. You need to be reminded of that. Why? Because there's sin ahead of you this week. But when, you, when Jesus died for your sin, it was all ahead. It was all. And he says it is finished. You need to be reminded of that. You need to be reminded that it is cast into the deepest ocean that as far as the east is from the west. How far is that? It's immeasurable. You keep going east, you go east forever. You keep going west, you go west forever. That's why he doesn't say as far as the north is from the south. Because if you keep going north, eventually you're gonna start going south. But you keep going east, you keep going east. How far is east from west? It is immeasurable. How far has your sin been removed from you? Immeasurable, right? You've been the, given the righteousness of God in Christ. Now that is not a license to sin. We've seen the detriments of where sin leads, but it is hope when we do. Because when we are faithless, he remains faithful. Now, I need to hear that, y'all, daily. And I don't mean to beat a dead horse, but this is why we've named a dead donkey, maybe. I'll beat a dead donkey. This is why we named this series, Everyone Needs a King. Because, again, the Old Testament points us to the one who would come. Samson doesn't meet your need. You need a better king, but his story points you to the better king, and there's all sorts of symbolism and typology, not just in his birth. Think about this story. I don't know if it popped out to you, but think about this. Let me kind of highlight some of these things, right? So Samson is handed over and betrayed by wicked people, and they are the Judahites. They're Jude from Judah, right? Jesus was handed over to wicked people by a man named what? Judah. Judas is the English version of Judah. Same name, right? The, the reason why the, the Judites turned over Jesus is because their logic, I mean, turned over Samson was, was, well, it's better for him to die than for all of us to die. One guy dying for the whole nation, that's worth it. When Jesus is on trial, the, uh, Caiaphas, the high priest, says, don't you know anything that it is better for one man to die than the whole nation? Same idea. Samson is on a mountain, on a place of, of skulls, of skeletons. Jesus is put on a place called Golgotha, which means the skull, which is translated in 
Latin, Calvary. Jesus says, I thirst. Samson says, I thirst. Samson breaks his bonds. Jesus breaks the bonds of death. It's all meant, y'all. This is the beauty of scripture. You couldn't invent it if you wanted to. Written a thousand years before Messiah. It's all meant to point you to one person. The God-man, Jesus of Nazareth. Who is the true king. So that you would find hope in him. Because blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is where hope lies, right? And, and I need it. I need this hope. It's not a sermon. It's just a thought. Just a thought. So the next verse, we'll close with these. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines 20 years. I love that verse. We scan over it because we want to kind of focus on Samson's badness because we always love it when someone else fails because it makes us feel good. But he, he judged faithfully for 20 years. Pretty uneventful. Don't know anything that happened. Remember also, by the way, for us, when we, we think real harshly of Samson, and he had his issues, he made it in the Hall of Fame of Faith. I'm not there. He is. Right, so he, he was faithful. For, this leads him to a 20-year kind of run of faithfully serving God and uh, judging Israel. And there's relative peace. And I wish that the story ended there. Because we got chapter 16. And here's how it begins. Samson went to Gaza. <sighs> Why did you go to Gaza? Things have been so good, 15, 16, 17 years, you went to Gaza. And there, what did he do? He saw, what's his issues? His eyes. He saw a prostitute and he went into her. Something clicks, some memory, he got on Facebook, he remembers, whatever, and something clicks and he goes back down and boom, he's back. Back in it. Samson, and the Gazites were told Samson has come and they surrounded the place and said an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning. We'll get him in the morning, right? But Samson lay until midnight. At midnight he rose and took hold of the doors of the gate by the city of two posts. These things are estimated at about 2,000 pounds a piece, all right? And so he, you know, for those who lift weights, you've ever done shrugs, right? You, your little trap action going. He puts a gate and a gate, he shrugs, both poles come up. 2,000 pounds. I'm doing like 25. I'm like, look at me, man. I'm like Conan O'Brien, right? He's got 2,000 pounds in each arm. Boop. And then I love this. He carries them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron, 37 miles down the road. That's like here to Hinesville. It's like picking up your car and taking it to Hinesville. You're like, where's my car? It's in Hinesville. Imagine they woke up the next morning. Okay, we're going to get him. A dude, he took the gates. They're 2,000 pounds apiece. He took the gates. Where'd he put them? I don't know. Oh, wait. Are you kidding me? That's like 38 miles away, dude. Somebody go get the gates. Send 1,000 a, send a people. Go get the gates. Right? He's got still with him despite his deal. But here's what happens next. And you know. Next verse, verse four. I don't have it. But after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. And that's not the girl from the river. And you know what happens then. And here's the last point. And here's the endurance piece for us, right? Here's the endurance piece. Not a sermon, just a thought. Just stay alert. Stay alert. Because your adversary, the devil, 
prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour and he is walking the perimeter of your life and he will very, very patient, just like a lion. And he's gonna wait for you to be tired or angry or lonely or right after a big victory and he's, he's ready. And so you need to be. And that doesn't mean to be scared, not walking around, oh, I'm scared of the devil, I'm not talking about that. But I'm just saying, don't let your guard down. And, and some of you in this room, you are addicts, you haven't had a drink for 20 years. Praise Jesus, stay alert. It just takes one loss for Georgia, and you're gonna be back. And there's gonna be plenty of them. Seriously though, you, 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 it's, like, it's easy to say, it's, been, it's like him, it's, it's been 15 years since I looked at a Philistine, Philistine girl. I'm good. He goes to Gaza. I haven't gotten on a porn in four months. Me and my girlfriend haven't hooked up in, in six weeks. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't hit the vape in, in a month. I know what a vape is, young people. I know. I know what a jewel is. I'm not dumb. What, it's easy to, once we've kind of gotten away from it a little bit, it's easy to say, hey, I, I'm, I'm safe. And I would say, just stay alert. To him who thinks he's false, stands, take heed lest he fall. Right? The proverb says this, guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Why? From it flow the springs of life. Samson should know my eyes are my deal. My eyes are my deal. He should be walking around. My eyes are my deal. My eyes are my deal. He forgets. He sees. He goes in. He's blind. He didn't guard his heart. And so I just would say, encourage you, endure. Do not get spiritually lazy. It's easy to do. It's easy to fall off the way. I used to be a gambler. I'm not anymore. That's great. Praise Jesus. Don't don't let your guard down. I used to be an ex. Don't. Just stay vigilant. The New Testament says be sober-minded. Be on the alert. This is the language of the New Testament. So that's what my encouragement to you would be, to endure in that way. It's not a sermon. Just some thoughts. An instruction. Don't blame others. Golden rule. An encouragement. We've got to enter the drama. Fight for each other when necessary. A hope. God cannot, will not, never will abandon you. Draw near to him, he will draw near to you. An endurance, stay vigilant, stay alert. The counterattack is coming, but you don't need to fear. Jesus says, take courage, I've overcome the world. Let's pray and let's worship. Would you stand with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your promises. I thank you that we as your people, as we sung earlier, we don't have to have our heads low, that we can lift our eyes and see where our help comes from. The, the Lord of the heavens, the maker of heaven and earth, I pray wherever we're at in this room, maybe some of us need to be vigilant today and that just is a reminder. Maybe some of us need the encouragement of hope that you have not abandoned. Maybe some of us needed to hear to respond the way we wanna be responded to. Maybe some need that encouragement to enter into the fray a little bit more. Whatever it is, Lord, I trust your spirit. Move, uh, speak to your people. Uh, and I just pray that, that we would go being your church. Uh, that's what you call us to do. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen.